morning, everyone. We have a very, very special guest. If you have been listening to this podcast or you can follow the I, uh, the Instagram account, I did a contest to win a Timex uh, Milano XL. Today, I have Julian Golden on the podcast today. Uh, we're going to get started. Julian, how are you this morning? I'm doing well, man. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. So how we do things on the Springsteen Thread Podcast is number one, we got to find out what you were, uh, what you have been wearing on your wrist this week. So why don't you tell me what you've been wearing? Yeah, definitely. So I've, I've gone between a, a couple different watches, um, you know, working from home, not getting my hands dirty too much. So half the time, you know, I'm, I'm lazy about watches and the other half <laughs> the time I'm thinking, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing anything so I can wear some nicer ones too, because they're not going to get banged up. So um, I've kind of been going in between some G-Shocks and uh, my Omega Seamaster Professional. Um, so, so the G-Shock that I've been wearing a lot lately is the uh, GA2100. So it's like the, uh, the G-Shock uh, rendition of the um, AP Royal Oak. So they mm. call it the, the Cassie Oak, the slang. Yes. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, big fan of that one. It's, I think it's an interesting G-Shock because it doesn't, you know, have a lot of the same kind of characteristics as most G-Shocks. It's very slim compared to a lot of the more chunkier models. So, so that's been a good one. Um, it's, it's cool. It's, you know, I have the all black, like very sleek model. So I like that one. Um, and then the Omega is great. You know, it's just, it's kind of become my, you know, non G shock day to day. Um, so yeah, you know, love that one. Had it for, uh, probably six or seven years now. Um, so kind of been going between those two for the most part. And then, you know, again, to be honest, like you know, rolling out of bed and working from home, there are some days where there's no watch on my wrist, but, mm -hmm. uh, but you know, I, I try to, I try to put something on because I find if I don't wear anything for a few days, next time I put on a watch, my wrist feels all weird. Feels the watch weird. feels very heavy. Yeah. Yeah. Are you wearing anything right now? I am. I'm wearing the G-Shock. Very nice. So with, with that acquisition, what, what was kind of behind that? Cause I think we'll, we'll get back to kind of our opinions or at least my opinion on the Cassio. We can have a little debate there. Uh, but what kind of prompted you to, to purchase that Cassio? So I had seen, so I, I was a G-Shock like fanatic, um, you know, when I was like a young teenager, um, I had kind of like, you know, they're very classic chunky. I think it was the 6,900. I think that's what the model number is. Um, and I had it in like a ton of different colors. So I was, you know, I was really big in that. Um, I used to do, I mean, I, I still do, but I used to do a lot of kind of like outdoor sports and activities. So that was kind of a really easy one for me to have. Cause you, you know, you could bang those things up and it didn't matter. Um, and then, you know, as I kind of, you know, obviously as you know, I've gotten older, kind of wanted to slim down the models, like the, the chunky G-Shocks were not always, you know, um, the ideal day-to-day -day watch on the wrist. exactly yeah. yeah and you know i also found that you know when i was younger it, it wasn't really about like having a watch that was you know also matching the rest of your outfit um it didn't really matter i was like if i have a bright red g-shock on and like you know i remember clothes, those days I didn't they, they remind me of like the the wiz khalifa uh yeah <laughs> kind of days right where, where yeah, you exactly. have like these big colorful g-shocks whatever you wore skinny jeans and like supras or dcs like that was that was it yeah, I always had a G-Shock, or my goal, and I somewhat fulfilled it, was to always have a G-Shock to match my New Era snapback and ah, my sneakers. So there I was go. going like all white, all red, all black, that kind of stuff. <laughs> but, you know, fast forward to, to today, um, you know, like I said, that those chunkier models weren't as, um, you know, wearable for the day-to-day. -day. So, you know, I, I liked having something where I could bang up because I'm still doing a lot of, you know, activities and stuff where, um, you know, I don't want to have to be super careful about, you know, my wrist. 
mm-hmm. uh, but I wanted something slimmer. So so the twenty one hundred was was really good. I think I saw it for the first time maybe a year ago, and at that time it had already released, and I you know I hadn't heard about when it released, and it was super limited, I guess, and so it was sold out everywhere, and it was kind of reselling on eBay and stuff like that for outrageous you know, like four hundred bucks, yeah, which yeah. was you know a ton for you know a rubber G Shock. So I, you know, I kept my eye on it. I really liked it, but you know, I wasn't going to drop that kind of money. And then stores in Canada have recently been releasing it a little bit more. It's still usually kind of like quick strike shock drops. Yes. Um, but one of the, uh, you know, one of the stores uh, in actually they're in Markham. They're called Soul Stop. Uh, that released it. Um, I know the I know the owner of the store. So I saw shout that they posted it. Yeah, exactly. And and so you know, shout out to Sam. He was able to to help me out on that one. Um, but you know, it was funny cause so that dropped and I was like, wow, okay, I got it. You know, it's still super limited and, and it was at that time. And then since then, you know, that was probably like five months ago, uh, uh-huh. stores have redropped it like four times. So it's not really limited <laughs> anymore. I know two other friends that have gotten them as well. So, oh, damn. Um, so yeah, so that was, that was how I got the G-Shock though. That was my, <laughs> my life story of it. Nice. I like that. I like that. Uh, for me, uh, I'm just going to kind of chime in this week. I basically wore my, uh, Tudor Black Bay. Um, and I wore, nice. I wore the Explorer uh, like one day and I was really considering to myself, I'm like, why do I like, why do I still have the uh, Explorer? And I kind of dialed it in mm-hmm. and this week I, I finally found out it's because of the uh, stainless steel. So with all the Rolex models, they actually engineer their own steel. Um, and with that mm-hmm. being said, it really creates like an interesting look and shine under certain lights. And yeah. tr- compared to like a traditional stainless steel, that's why it looks a lot, you know, more appealing to the eye. And I finally found out why I'm still holding on to this, this Explorer, because I genuinely do like my Black Bay 38 a lot more. Um, mm-hmm. And then with that being said, that was the watch on this week. And I also wanted to, you know, tease something. I know you know about it already, but I have a new pickup. Uh, and I finally yeah. have uh, purchased uh, a beloved 36 millimeter watch, which is in today's standards, really, really small. And this is the, uh, the Hamilton um, Pilot Pioneer. Nice uh, it, looks, small. it looks amazing yeah so i haven't seen it on your wrist yet so this is the first time so that's that's awesome i like it a lot yeah no that's it's good uh, the shine is nice the colors are great like that nato strap is you know works perfectly i know what, what i love about it and i know uh you can i guess you can see this now in guitars sneakers and now watches is the faux aged look uh and mm-hmm. i really like it i mean I'm, i've been a huge fan of Fender doing their relic um, guitars, I think over 10 years ago uh, with yeah. watches. Now we call it the faux patina on, on the, you know, on the loom and everything. I don't mm-hmm. mind it when it's done in a tasteful way. Same with sneakers, well, with Filthy. I know when we met up, we, we spoke about that amazing, yeah. you know, uh, ca- custom artist, but he's also distressing and he's doing all these things that I think there's a marketplace for it. It's not for everyone. Sometimes it can be redone, but when it's done just right, it's, uh, it's very, very beautiful. Yeah. yeah, totally. No, I 100% agree on that. And the first, I want to go back to your, your point about the Rolex first. Um, I, I totally agree on the stainless steel. So I have the the Rolex Datejust is one of my kind of favorite watches that I have. I don't wear it, you know, all, all the time. But um, when I got that one and I put it side by side to the Omega, I remember looking at it and be like, these look super different, <laughs> even though they're both like stainless steel. And I was like, why is that? Because, you know, when I compare it to other stainless steel watches, the Omega, for example, I was like, okay, you know, they're pretty much the same, you know, obviously yeah. some small differences. Um, so I looked into that, you know, the stainless steel thing as well with the Rolex. So um, I remember when I learned that, I was like, okay, that's, that's really cool. And it is 
quite different considering it's, you know, quote unquote, the same material. Yeah, it, it's pretty crazy. And I know even with the Tudor, they recently released a blue variant, a blue dial variant of the Black Bay 58. And it's the same thing. They said when you compare the OG with the new blue, they've actually engineered the stainless steel on the blue model to have a cooler tone to match oh, the, okay. the dial. Nice. So it's like, I think when you talk about watches, it's really the little things that make such a big difference. And that's yep. sort of um, a way for people to understand why would you ever pay $3,000 you know, five thousand, ten grand, like twelve mm -hmm. grand on a watch. Yeah, and it's all it just comes down to all the, the small, small details. And then that's yeah. the same with sneakers too. <laughs> it is. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I'm going to ask you, what did you wear this uh, this week, or what did you wear um, on the weekend as well? Yeah, totally. So, you know, again, like unfortunately, you know, same with the watches thing with work from home. My sneaker wear is is less, which you know is a bit of a bummer because I was definitely picking up a lot of pairs before COVID. <laughs> So, you know, my, my apartment is just, is full of sneakers. I haven't worn much. So now I'm trying to, you know, break them out as much as possible, especially with, you know, the weather changing a little bit. And I know that very soon I'm going to transition to boots and then, you know, sneakers are going to take a bit of a backseat. Um, but let's see what I wear. So, um, a couple different pairs. Um, I basically, or I recently just broke out, um, a new pair of, uh, the blazers, the 77 mids. Um, the white with the blue checks. Um, Love it. The blazers are one of my favorite silhouettes and a favorite for a shoe that I haven't actually owned like for a while um, or I didn't own for a long time, even though I liked it and I, I have them now. And, um, you know, my girlfriend loves them. She's got her pair as well. And so she actually had hers before I got mine. Um, but, <laughs> but, but you know, we guy. were always like, exactly. No, but we were always like, you know, these are these are awesome. And it's funny because that's a shoe that, is I was ha I was having a conversation with another buddy of mine um, the other day about them. It's it's a shoe that is you know it's a very much like a GR shoe. You can find them at Foot Locker, mm -hmm. you know you can find them kind of anywhere all the time. I think they're even going on sale sometimes. But yes, it's a are. great shoe, and you can you will almost always get like some type of look or compliment because as much as it's a GR, a lot of people I think still don't know about them, and they still you know have all the same um, the same cuts as the original you know, the original blazer. So, or um, something else that's very, original. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll talk about that too. So, um, so that's, that's a really cool one. Um, I have this pair of shoes that I got, you know, a while back. So I, I know the guys, um, from this Toronto brand called get fresh company. Um, mm -hmm. and a couple of years ago they did a collaboration, I think it was 2018 with Puma. Um, I forget what the, the model name is, but it's kind of one of those, like, you know, it has like the thicker kind of trail sole and like the higher sock, like, um, yeah. like, you know, whatever. Um, so I've been, you know, I've been wearing that. It's, it's a nice like burgundy shoe. So it, it works really well with like, you know, the fall coming up. And then yesterday I was very excited. So I was walking around a lot with my girlfriend and I broke out for the first time, my, uh, St. Laurent SL 10 highs Ooh, in the bright colorway. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I put them on the story. So, um, you know, that was a pair I had got a long time ago, like before COVID, um, was going to be kind of, you know, a shoe that I hope to wear a lot. I was basically deciding between like, you know, that or a Jordan one bread decided yeah. these are a little bit fancier. And I found a good, but like, I didn't buy them brand new. I, f I found them. It was like, you know, they'd been worn once or twice, but then it was COVID. It was summer, you know, it's not really a shorts shoe with, for me. So, um, you know, now, now I'm wearing pants again. So, so I broke those out with some, some nice pants yesterday. So that was great. They're super comfortable. I find a lot of designer shoes are not. Um, so these ones were good. So those are kind of my main ones. Um, 
you know, I have a pair of ultra boosts that I wear just kind of like running across the street to the, you know, to the pharmacy and the grocery <laughs> store, but, uh, it's kind of that. Um, and yeah, I mean, I got a lot of shoes, so it's, yeah. know, it's hard to keep track, but that's, that's kind of it. What about you? What were you wearing? I was wearing, I, I do, I do a pretty good mix. So I wore the nine, nine eights this week, um, a lot mm-hmm. just to kind of break them out. Uh, just because, and hold on, I'm going to I'm gonna go back to your points. Number one, Get Fresh Company. I know them. The designer came in for a meeting once. Um, and then we kind of banked some things out. And then, you know, afterwards, I know, respectfully, we just weren't the right partners. I know who we, who we went with. Pretty sure. good choice. Yeah. I mean, I've seen their stuff. Uh, do they still have their storefront on Queen Street West? Yeah, they do. Yeah, so they have their store. It's like Queen and uh, Augusta, basically. So just a little bit west of Spadina. Yeah, good, good guys. So... You know they've been they've been doing the thing for a long they've, time. They're coming out with you know a lot of new products lately, which is yeah. good because I know a lot of brands have had a tough time during COVID to get their manufacturing back up, especially if it's overseas. Um, but yeah, you know this the store is great, and they've got a lot of cool stuff coming into the store. You know, whenever yeah. stores can I'm, become more. I'm of rooting a for thing. them as someone in the industry. I can see that they they can pick up a lot of traction. They could do a lot. Yeah. It. I think at at this point with a lot of brands, it's just all about timing. You know, yeah. and then afterwards they'll 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 kind of go from there. Uh, and then I'm going to touch on this later with you too. The Saint Laurent, your thoughts on designer shoes, and then borrowing mm-hmm. colorways from you know original yeah. sneakers. Going back to that 998s um, for sure, they were on my feet. The 99 uh, 990s V5s in the navy, mm-hmm. and then I also busted out the Yeezy 500s. Uh, those nice. Yeezy 500s, I still think are the most comfortable shoes. Uh, those are soft as heck. Like I have Ultra Boost as well. I have like a few other ones, ton of mm-hmm. NBs up here. But yeah. something about putting on that 500, the, the the cushion and everything, it just feels really nice. Yeah, that and was, I'm lucky because I, I ended up walking. I was just downtown. I was just on Queen Street. I popped into the Adidas store, and I'm just like, oh, I wonder if they have it. And I asked, ten and a half or eleven. They said I have one ten and a half. I'm like. All right, I guess I'll just pick it up from there, and that, that was it. So, sorry, what were you saying? No, that's that's great. I was gonna say like the um, the five hundred. I think is the first shoe where, you know, besides the the three fifty V twos, where they just you know flood the market with a million colorways that all look the same, and you know now it's like you know you can if you really really want them, you can usually find a way to get them. But I think the five hundred was the first shoe where a lot of people were like, I'm not sure about this, which made it great because it was now a more accessible shoe. And I think it is still a really, really good one. Um, I had a pair of the black ones for a little while, um, ended up ended up selling them because I just, I wasn't wearing them as much as some other shoes at the time. And I had a, I had a friend who really wanted them. So I gave them to him um, for, I think basically what I paid for him. Um, but that's, that's a great one. It, it's a cool shoe. And I think it's like, you know, it's, it's a take on the dad shoe that's very different from all other dad shoes though, which, you know, which I think is great. Um, and the materials on them are really good too. Yeah, I think that's what I appreciated when I actually picked up the shoe. As someone um, that's in the textiles and apparel industry, it's just like for me, a lot of the fabric and material makes a lot, like makes a difference and makes or breaks yep. buying the shoe. Picking that up, I'm like, this is solid construction, solid. Even like glue marks, little things like thread coming out. Like I've seen mm-hmm. $300 sneakers that I purchased that are just like, how could you even do this? Uh, but yeah, with the UC 500s, I've had pretty good um, like QA, QC. I used yeah. to have a pair of 380s. I sold them because I, I just didn't wear them that much. Let's kind of go with, uh, before we dive into the big topic, is the, the designer sneakers, the bread colorway. Um, you, 
what kind of prompted you to purchase that shoe? Because I know at first glance, when I went, looked at your story, I was like, hey, are these? And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. I, I started to analyze the phone. I'm like, okay, these are St. Laurent's. They're not, you know, mm -hmm. anything like yeah. that. Um, I think it kind of bridges the line of what's like an homage, what's like a ripoff and kind of thing. So I, I want to get your take on it. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, first off, my, my take on designer footwear typically is um, it's usually, in my opinion, it's usually not worth it. Um, and maybe that is, you know, someone who is, you know, you know, I get paid well, but I don't get paid enough to, you know, have my entire like sneaker collection be designer shoes. Um, but I think typically, you know, especially nowadays, there are a lot of brands that can offer really, really good construction on footwear um, for good prices, which make spending $800 on a pair of sneakers typically, you know, not, not a smart move. Um, now, that being said, you know, one thing that I'm a bit big advocate for, um, you know, as someone also just like, you know, who is looking to wear the shoes and not just like collect them and have them on a shelf is that um, there are a lot of brands that, you know, get resold for under retail after like mm -hmm. a wear or two. Designer shoes are kind of like cars where once you wear them once, like the value really, really drops. Like, you know, Nikes and Jordans and stuff like that, the value might drop a little bit if you wear them once or twice, but it's not, you know, you know, whatever it's, it's not like an $800 shoe to begin with. So, you know, it's, it's, it's fine. But so the St. Laurent's I got for like under $300, which, Whoa. you know, and they're retailing for, you know, like seven seventy or something like that. Uh, so, so that was great. And like, these are, you know, barely, barely worn. Like I'm still breaking in the leather a little bit. Um, so, so that was really good. So that's, that's my take on designer footwear is if you can find them used, you know, it's potentially, you know, it, it's a good, it's a good option, especially now with Jordans being like $300 retail. Um, yeah. you know, that was, that was kind of a good thing for me, but you know, going on to the, the colorways, um, I, I like it usually. Um, I would say that it really depends on how the brand or sorry, how the sneaker model kind of uses the colors. Um, you know, just putting black and red on a shoe to make it like a, you know, a bread colorway doesn't, doesn't always work. You know, mm -hmm. it's one of the most iconic color combinations for, for footwear. So that's great, but you can't just like say, this is going to be red. That's going to be black. That's going to be red. That's going to be black. And like, now it's a great shoe. Um, so I think, I think the Saint Laurent, uh, SL 10 highs do it really well. They have like a nice, they have good paneling on the shoe and the, you know, the construction's great. So it works. I've seen some kind of black and red shoes that I just really don't care for. And mm -hmm. I think they don't do the colorway justice. Um, so, so it depends. There's a brand that, um, I don't own, um, but it's out of California. It's a new brand called Collegium and okay. they are doing kind of like, they're the, in my opinion, one of the perfect kind of, uh, high end brand quality footwear for mm -hmm. like, you know, the two fifty three hundred $300 price range. Um, they, they are doing a lot of kind of like the classic sneaker colorways. Um, and I think they're doing it really well. It's a very similar shoe to the Saint Laurent's. Um, so maybe that's, <laughs> maybe that's why I think so. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, it can, it can work totally. Um, I don't think you can be the designer brand and be like, we came up with the white, black and red colorway. Like, you know, it's, it's obvious that, that not. that's yeah. not how it was, but I think it can be done. I think it's cool. Um, you know, and there's a lot of people that want the luxury shoes, and, but they want, you know, the, the classic kind of Nike or Jordan colorways. So, you know, it's, if, if you got the money or you can find the pairs and it's, it's the best of both worlds. Yeah. I think it all comes down to 
the designer, the intent, and the execution. Because you can, you can see some shoes that are uh, blatant kind of ripoffs. So I don't want to name drop any of the brands that, that have done it, the fast fashion brands. <laughs> but it's yeah. like when you see it, you're like, come on. Like, you could try a little harder and just like improve certain things. Um, when it comes to designer shoes, uh, the first thing that kind of came, came to my head when you were talking about it and the quality is, I wonder if Rose Anvil will ever kind of take apart one of those shoes. And do you know Rose yeah. Anvil as, as a channel on YouTube? Uh, a little bit. I, I, I've seen, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not a frequent viewer, but, but I've seen it. So for those listening, Rose Anvil um, is a YouTube channel. What they do there is they actually take um, cut sneakers and boots in half, analyze it. He works in the leather trade. He works in, you know, the crafts trade. So he really tells you um, if the shoe is worth what you're paying for it or it's all just kind of hype. And I know they did a controversial Common Projects one. Uh, that one got the biggest buzz uh, and he kind of, you know, had his input on there. But I think with designer shoes, um, especially the one that you had, the St. Laurent's, uh, it was done tastefully. It wasn't like, yeah. hey, I can clearly see like this represent like the toe box rep represents this, the heel, anything yeah. like that. It was their take, kind of like their approach with their design language and using a, using a very iconic color. And, and I think it's really hard that if you have a background in sneakers, it's hard not to see that color combo and be like, Jordan. Because even this morning yeah. when I was outside the condo, I saw someone uh, wearing a, what was it, Jordan 11 low uh, in the white, black, and red. I'm just like, that guy knows what he's doing. Uh, and it's tough. Like, once you see it, you're just like Jordan. And that's why when I saw your story, too, I was just like, you know. But I, I think they're good. Um, you, bring up a good you bring up an interesting point, because I don't have any designer sneakers um, or even designer footwear. And I did not know that the depreciation was that high. Something that, you know, sells MSRP for this much. You ended up, you ended up picking up just uh, under $300. It's a pretty good steal. Yeah, those, it's it's uh, crazy. Like, and you know that wasn't like the only pair. You know that was that was at that price. Like, there's a lot of options. Um, I would say Gucci is maybe one of the brands that I I don't see kind of drop quite as much. Okay. Um, I don't know why because I don't think like you know the quality is you know any better than you know some of the other brands. At least you know, and I don't know. This is coming from someone who doesn't own any Gucci footwear, but. Um, you know, from, you know, I've, I've held the pairs in hands. They don't seem, you know, like way, way better than, than the other designer footwear. But um, yeah, it's it's crazy. And I think Saint Laurent is one of the brands, especially that really kind of drops a lot. Um, maybe just because, you know, a lot of people have them and they're deciding that it's, you know, not the shoe for them. I also think that the SL10 was a shoe that was way more hyped up like a year or two ago. Okay. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, the original pair that I was looking at um, was going to be even cheaper, and then the uh, the guy I was going to buy from kind of snaked me, and and he sold them elsewhere when I was when I was getting the money together. So that's okay. I found another pair, um, yeah. but but yeah, the price the prices can really really drop. Um, so it you know when I got those, it really got me thinking like if I can get these for about three hundred dollars, like what else can you get? What shoes am I no longer going to be buying because I could buy oh. you know a pair of a pair of designer footwear instead? Because as much as you know. You know the quality is good, maybe not worth eight hundred dollars. It's definitely you know comparable to to Nike's, and I mean you know I think we've talked about Nike you know quality lately. It's it's very hit or miss. So I agree. So, you know it, it definitely makes you think. It does. Um, with, with that quality issue, too. Um, not to throw this brand under the bus, but someone that sells these very amazing moccasin runners for over a thousand dollars. 
Um, the first time I went to Haven and I checked that out, I was very excited. I've only seen like online images to, at that point. I went to go see that moccasin runner and I was like, wow, there are glue stains everywhere. And it's, yeah. it's pretty crazy. And I, I think I want to allude to my point is a lot of the times when you look at the country of origin, be it made in Vietnam, made in China, made in Italy, made in Canada, anything like that, you should not discount it as cheap or even lu- or you, you shouldn't think there, there's luxury um, with that name. With anything, it all comes down to the operator or the maker. They kind of control it all. And just because it's made in Italy doesn't mean it's amazing. Just because it's made in Vietnam doesn't mean it's terrible. Because I totally. love my undercover day bricks. I think those are one of the best mm-hmm. constructed uh, and like you know, pretty decent um, you know con- um, materials and, and stitching. Whereas some other shoes, I'm just like, holy crap! How are you selling this for twelve hundred dollars, fifteen hundred dollars? Um, yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, uh, one thing that kind of popped into my mind too is I've never bought secondhand sneakers. I've only mm. bought you know fresh, kind of you know off the shelf or online, never been worn. Yeah. What is that experience like? Because I have no clue. And I, I've had someone ask me too. He's like, "How do you feel about wearing you know secondhand shoes?" I, I like, I don't know. Yeah. So, so I'll preface it by saying when I am buying secondhand, I'm buying you know a handful of wares at most secondhand. You know, I'm not I'm not super into like, oh, I dug these out of the garbage, like, you know, wore these to music festivals and stuff like that. Um, you know, I'm I'm totally fine to, to clean up a pair of shoes a little bit. But, mm-hmm. you know, there are some pairs you can't bring back to life and it's not worth, you know, just finding what, what's your for, what's for your threshold? Um, I would say that, like, you know, the things that I look for is like the the drag and the heel. Um if it if that's pretty aggressive and you know the the back rubber heel has really been worn down it, you can kind of tell that that shoe's been you know been worn a ton uh depending on the shoe like if it's you know a leather sneaker especially if it's a high top the the creasing on the toe can be a bit of an indicator i'm okay with a little bit of creasing especially you know like i said i'm going to be wearing the shoe i'm probably going to crease it myself anyways but um I want to, you know, I want to be able to give it a bit of a wipe down and have it look pretty good and not have to spend five hours like scrubbing it to like, you know, get some aggressive stuff. Bring it back to life. So, yeah, exactly. I don't want to have to bring it back to life. I want it to still have life in it. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll say it like that. Um, so, so that's kind of the first thing. And, you know, the second thing is um, the experience has changed a lot on buying secondhand over the years. I used to do it as like a young teenager. Um, as a way to make money um, and like, you know, to get, to get shoes. Like, you know, I, I grew up, you know, fortunate that I was able to have some cool pairs, you know, like from, you know, my parents helping me get them, but you know, they were not going to buy me $250 <laughs> shoes like I, ever. I so, think at, at that point in time, $250 would get you a really, really nice shoe. <laughs> was crazy. Even, yeah, you know what, let's, let's take it back. Even like 150. So, um, you know, it was, it was kind of like, you know, I had a, a pair of, you know, basketball sneakers from the Nike outlet for, for my, uh, you know, for basketball. And then I had a pair of, you know, kind of my casual shoes for school or whatever. Um, I also had to wear kind of like black dress shoes for, for school. So that was like my, you know, that was the, you know, kind of the caveat too, is like, I wasn't even wearing sneakers, like, you know, between the hours of eight thirty and, and five, but anyway, so, so going back to the, you know, buying sneakers. So, you know, it used to be, I was like, you know, 14, 15 year old Julian meeting up with some random stranger in, you know, a subway station. 
um, and buying shoes. And it was, it was definitely a more sketchy experience because it was not something that was done quite as much. Um, so you had kind of interesting characters that you'd come by and it, you know, definitely built some, uh, some grit in my personality. Um, but nowadays I, I think, you know, the experience is really good mostly because kind of everyone does it. Uh, everyone's like buying and, and selling and, you know, people are wearing them, getting, you know, <laughs> wearing them to get an Instagram photo and then, and then flipping them and stuff yeah. like that. And, well, like um, for the review, you know, if they have yeah, a exactly. Yeah, man, like, uh, sneaker YouTubing or like, you know, being a sneaker influencer, if you're just like buying it, giving it a review and then flipping it, it's like the best free way to make, you know, money on a monetized channel. So, you know, I have full respect to those people, those guys that have done it. Um, but yeah, now it's like, you know, it's very casual. You just like text someone on Facebook, you know, they <laughs> drive up to your house. Yeah. You just like, you know, e-transfer them, which was another thing. Now that e-transfer is like more of a thing, like before it was like, you know, dealing not in like hundreds like of dollars in cash. In yeah. 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 So, so now it's like, you know, it's a, it's a much better experience. Um, and you can, yeah, you can find some great deals if you're willing to, to buy used. But again, like, you know, understanding that you should really only buy used if you're going to be wearing the shoe. It's very, you know, it's very hard to make money by like flipping used sneakers. So, you know, and you can't, you know, put a used pair of shoes on StockX or, or anything like that. So used is great if you want to wear them. Uh, if you don't, then I would suggest buying brand new because you're going to have very tricky negotiations with someone because they're always going to, I saw a post yesterday on a Facebook group where there was like the slightest like drag on like one of the heels. And apparently some guy was like talking about like, Oh, the guy who bought for me wants his money back. And it was like, man, like with all due respect, like, you know, shut up and keep moving. Cause this is like, this is ridiculous, but people are super picky about that. And, you know, so you have to be, you have to kind of be willing to deal with that as well. Um, but you know, again, you can find great pairs for, for great prices. That's how I got the St. Laurent's and I have a, you know, I have a handful of pairs that are, you know, worn once or twice, got them for like half of what they would go for brand new. So, wow. I, I think that's a good point. Cause I never thought about that is if you generally want something that you can get at uh, MSRP, go used if you're actually willing to wear it. Um, so I, I, I think I might do that with a, with a few things. Um, I know one thing, one shoe that's actually been on my radar for a long time would be the fog ones in oatmeal, but mm -hmm. man, those prices are whew, scary. Yeah. Yeah. Those are tough. I actually, uh, almost grabbed those when they, when they retailed, when I had them in my cart and I was able to check out, like I didn't get car checked or anything. And I didn't because the MSRP is pretty high on those. Yeah. Like the retail was like three fifty, Um, so I, just, you know, the last second me was like, yeah, I, I don't need these. Um, but that's a great shoe. I think it's super wearable. And, you know, I think every time the weather starts to change, if we get closer to fall, it's those types of shoes. And I'm like, Oh, I wish I had those ones. Cause it's like the perfect one when you're pulling out the pants and the, the sweaters. Exactly. Or I think the, uh, the 500 boots, uh, I don't know the official name, terrible at it, both with watches and sneakers. I think those were, were great ones too. Those sat at Haven as well. And I kind of regret not picking them up because those were easy to get, uh, with, with the fog line, I do want to get your opinion. What did you think when they released the, uh, uh, the mock? Um, so, you know, I think, and we'll, we'll talk about, you know, vintage sneakers and vintage models. So I liked the, the mock and, and the raid because they kind of drew parallels to a lot of like old sneaker models. Mm -hmm. Um, it wasn't a shoe for me personally. So I, like, I didn't pick them up and that the mocks were, 
you know, selling for like under retail yeah. as well. So, scary. so it was a shoe that I really considered, I think probably because of like the name, I was like, I can get a fear of God Nike for under retail. Like maybe I should do it. But you know, I, I just didn't think it was a shoe that I was going to wear much. Um, I have seen them, you know, I have seen people in the streets wearing them and I'm kind of 50, 50 on them. Sometimes I'm like, Oh, I, I, I should have bought those. They look really good. And sometimes I'm like, yeah, I definitely didn't need those. Um, so I, you know, I'm kind of mixed on those The the, the ones I think are great. I love seeing, you know, brands complete, completely new silhouettes. And I think Jerry did a really good job on those. Um, so the ones are, the ones are definitely the favorite. Um, the mocks are probably the least favorite of mine. That's the consensus that I saw a lot of people have. And even when, when the whole line dropped, even I mm-hmm. spoke to my circle and they're just like, they're trash. Like they're, they're terrible. <laughs> I don't even know why they're releasing it. Funny enough, I picked them up because I didn't really look at it in the sense of this is a streetwear shoe. Like I'm going to wear this mm-hmm. with like whatever. I actually saw it as a really formal shoe. So I saw oh, it okay. as, it's almost like it hit, the way the silhouette is, and I, I have a pair, right? The way the silhouette is, and then just how it kind of shapes to your foot, to me is very dress shoey in these sort of 2030, 2040 way. So, so what do you wear them with? Uh, so I wore, I've worn it with like a blazer and I've worn it with like dress pants. Okay. Um, either cool. like a light, lighter fabric in the summer or even yeah. something more traditional. Um, just, you know, a little bit above the, the ankle length for the pants. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. with, you know, just the toe socks and everything. I think it, it looked pretty good. I, I wore it to a wedding once too. Wow. Cool. Yeah. Did you get, and, did you get comments at the wedding? Like, yeah, what, I did. what are these sneakers like, you like Yeah. I mean, at that time too, I had like the, the man bun and everything. So it just looked like a total, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> outcast or like an artist. It was just like, holy crap, like nice shoes. Right. I'm like, thanks. Yeah. Like, I, but I'm pretty sure if I were to go like on the streets of like somewhere in like Young and Dundas, I, I might get weird looks if I wore it like in a traditional <laughs> kind of streetwear sense. In the formal I feel like you'd either, works. you'd either get weird looks or you'd get street styled by every single photographer ever <laughs> because it'd be like, that's awesome. And I will say, you know, that's an interesting take. I never thought about the shoe like that. But, you know, one of the things for me when I was thinking about them was that, you know, it is it's like what is it's like a ripstop like material as like the the base kind of yeah like it's some a pretty type thick like... ripstop there's a velcro yeah. on the top that doesn't really secure your foot and the lacing yeah. system's even worse by the heel because it doesn't really you know stay right in. yeah and so for the ripstop like for me like i always kind of thought that like pants like i'm a big kind of pants falling onto the shoe kind of guy um i have you know some of the like above the ankle pants but um I usually reserve those for like the kind of low cut, like runner type sneakers that I have. But for, for the mocks, like I was never really sure how like jeans were really going to fall onto like ripstop. And I think it's, you know, it's not as good as like, you know, something with a bit more padding or like a bit more of a durable, like, you know, leather base or something like that. So that was, that was kind of the thing for me, but you know, the, the point you made about wearing them in a formal setting that to me sounds almost more appropriate even though it is a sneaker so if you have any pictures of that then i'd definitely like to see them yeah i know um one year for for a company uh, christmas party i did the same thing it was a blazer dress pants those and i wore um a noah t-shirt underneath it was Sick. just like yeah i was like hey this kind of works so i just kind of did it yeah if i, I don't yeah. have any photos unfortunately um but if i did i, I definitely share them because it, it was a pretty good cool. look yeah so you, you spoke about vintage and kind of new sneakers do you want to share with everyone a latest pickup 
that I think is a really great piece of art, really great piece of sneaker history and Nike history. And I, I believe you have the two shoes that kind of came out of that design. Yeah, so, and, right, so yeah, so let me start with the shoes. So I recently picked up a pair of Nike Legend Highs. Um, they are kind of one of the, you know, one of the first, a, a shoe in one of the first batches of like Nike basketball shoes. Um, so they came out in the 80s. Um, in 1984 is, is when this pair is from in like the neutral gray, gray color way. So it's, you know, the all white with uh, with a gray swoosh. Um, and that to me is a really, really cool shoe because the way that the model is created um, is it's kind of a mix of really two of the most iconic sneakers, which is the Nike Blazer High and the Air Force One. Um, I did a bit more research on those since we last spoke about them. So it is actually a combination of the Blazer and Air Force that both preceded the Nike Legend High. Um, and so, but it's, there's kind of, you know, an interesting, um, an interesting take to it in, in which the Blazer and Air Force didn't become super, super popular until after the Legend came out. So the initial kind of like thought was, okay, this is kind of like, you know, this was what gave like, what shines some light on those models. The original Blazer came out in the 70s. Um, and then the original Air Force One came out like the- was it? 72, Two, I believe. 72. Okay, 72. But there's so many years where shoes come out now, it's, it's hard to keep track. So it's sometime in the 70s, like early 70s. And the Air Force One came out a year before the, the legend did. So, um, so the, you know, and the, um, you know, the shoe is a really cool combination. So it has the toe box of the Air Force. It has like the ankle and the, um, I guess the back of, of the blazer. Um, so this pair is really, really great. The, you know, it's a little bit scuffed, but the, um, the overall condition of it is really good. The stitching is all solid. Um, it has a really nice kind of natural yellowing on, on the outsole. Um, I mean, it's, you know, it's a 30 year old shoe. So, um, <laughs> so that's, Love that's that. natural. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a great piece of footwear. Um, I have some, some cool content that I'm going to be working on, um, kind of about the history of that shoe and, you know, how it ties into the blazer and the air force as well. Cause I have, you know, all of those pairs. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm really excited for those. It's a great, it's a great shoe, you know, not one that I'm going to be really wearing because I'm, I'm afraid it will fall apart if it ever gets, you know, put on the pavement, but yeah. that's going to be a pair that, you know is more of a, a, like you said, an art piece or a conversation starter for for my sneakerhead friends um, yeah. as opposed to something that was purchased to wear. I think what I appreciate about it, and um, it kind of looks prototype-y in a way, and it kind of looks like someone on the design team says, all right, what do we have in the basketball catalog? What's not working? Yep. What did we just do? Okay, fuck it. Let's take this, Air Force One. Let's take this, Blazer. Team. Just do it, make it, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll do a short run, see how it goes. Like to me, that's that really like kind of feel. And I love that because I think about the energy of early Nike, early Adidas, early Puma, now all these brands, mm -hmm. they were so willing to, to experiment that yeah. at that time, that's kind of what I imagine the meeting being. Um, it's just someone leading and saying, we're gonna take these two shoes, go crazy. And if, if anything, you can kind of say, is that the backbone of ISPA as well? Like, is that kind totally. of how it could all start? It, it's just from that legend. So that's why I'm really interested in it. It's, it, yeah, it, it's great combining two iconic shoes, but it's also as a company, that innovation, be it good or bad, doesn't matter your, your take on the shoe, it really starts there. 
and seeing like mashing up these different things together. So that's what I really appreciate uh, about the shoe. Yeah, for sure. And I think like, you know, with that one, um, it, it really is like you cut an Air Force One in half, you cut a blazer in half, you put the front of the Air Force One, the back of a, of a blazer into one shoe. So it was like, you know, partially not creative at all and partially like, whoa, genius. And yeah. then, um, you know, this was right before or potentially during, you know, the kind of uh, design for the Jordan one, which oh, was... Air, when did the Airship come out? Because I was uh, trying to if there's a parallel there. Actually, you're right. So the airship was before the Jordan one, I believe. Um, and that was, I guess that was kind of in the blazer realm as well. Mm-hmm. Looks a little bit kind of like that. But, um, you know, those shoes started to um, kind of, you know, move the the basketball stylings for Nike um, kind of into that, like more Jordan yeah. one, like more paneling on the shoe. Um, and, and so, you know, I think this was kind of the last one where it was like, you know, the very sleek kind of like runner vibe before they like, are like, Oh, whoa, let's add way more to the basketball models because then, you know, you had the Jordan one, you had like the, um, the terminators, uh, the disruptors, there's a bunch of names. They all just like basically sound like superhero villains. Um, (laughs) but, um, you know, all of those shoes came out and those all resemble the Jordan one a lot more than they do like the old blazers. And stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I, I believe um, the airship was just a year before, actually. So I guess the Jordan wow. 1 would have been 85. So this was 84. Basically the same year, maybe like, you know, bas- the same year or, or just slightly after the, the Legend came out. And I, I do think the Legend was a kind of limited shoe. It didn't really have like a super widespread release. Yeah. Like the um, like the other kind of basketball models did, which is another reason I think it's a it's a great piece. Did you purposely look for like Nike Legend or how did you even stumble on this this model? So I've been kind of paying attention to kind of vintage Nike basketball models for a little while. Um, and, you know, we're going to talk about the kind of, you know, the resurgence of, of vintage kind of looks. Um, so we'll definitely get into that. But um, the legend was one that I was really, really interested in because of, you know, all the things that we've just talked about, like the kind of combination of the different models. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm always kind of someone who's just like paying attention to, um, you know, what's what's out there. Um, and, uh, you know, some of the vintage models I, I don't like as much, like the the kind of big Nikes and the, you know, the Term- Terminators and stuff like that. It's for me a shoe where I'd be like, I'd rather just have a Jordan 1 at that point. Um so the legend was was really interesting. I didn't like you know search for legends when I found those, um, but I I was you know very familiar with the shoe and so very happy when I came across them. Mm-hmm. Nice, wow! It's just for mm-hmm. you know I, I'm sure if for some people listening they're kind of kind of wondering whoa if if these shoes are out there like how do I even go go about it? Do you need that primary research? Because a lot of times uh, and I'm kind of relating this to watches now is you got to know which reference you're looking for. If you just search mm-hmm. up like vintage Omega, vintage Rolex, vintage Seiko, you can get burned because there are a lot of what yeah. we call Franken watches out there where they're, they're just taking little parts and making it original. So totally. that's why I want to I want to see your thought process if you knew if that's exactly what you typed. And I think there's there's less um, you know franken shoes out there but you can correct me if if i am wrong the less franken shoes out there that claim to be vintage or claim to be like you know really old kind of thing yeah i would say there's definitely fewer than there are for watches 
like yeah if you google vintage rolex or vintage omega like you know you just get flooded with all these like just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of of watches so um i think for footwear it's less um there were also you know potentially fewer fewer nike models or adidas models or new balance models just in general um than like you know there are for watches um that at least that were you know popular or kind of ones that people paid attention to um but the other thing too is like you know kind of this is like how it is you know when you look at vintage watches for vintage sneakers you know the biggest thing i always look at is like is this vintage or is it just old um and there's a lot of just old shoes out there that you know it's you know it's it's kind of a subjective kind of personal kind of decision on do i think this is like a cool vintage pair mm-hmm. and someone else could come along and be like that's just an old pair of shoes i mean <laughs> my girlfriend is just like <laughs> you just bought old shoes um but um yeah i mean there's there's a lot out there um you know if you go on ebay and just search vintage nikes you're gonna get you know hundreds and hundreds of results um yeah. And then it's also, you know, figuring out kind of like what sport you like, because the vintage, you know, Nike runners, that's another really, really cool category. Um, You know, there's a lot of really interesting, like, um, like track shoes and stuff like that, where it's not necessarily a category that I am um, as into, you know, this is just someone who grew up playing basketball. So basketball was always kind of my go-to, but there's some really, really cool pairs um, as well. So it's kind of, you know, knowing what style you're looking for as well. so, I mean, you could get a little bit more in depth and Google vintage basketball Nike or vintage running Nike, and you might find a little bit more. But again, it's good to have the research done and kind of know a little bit about, you know, some of the earlier models, at least. Um, when I searched uh, when, or when I found the the legends, it was actually from looking into older Jordan 1 models. Um, okay. And then those happened to just be like a related kind of result. Um, but, you know, again, it was like, OK, I saw it and I, I knew the legend. Um, so I was like, oh, whoa, like, let me, let me check out those. Yeah. And you got them at, at, at a pretty good price. I would say got it at a very, very good. I got them at a very good price. So I got them on an eBay auction and I'm very surprised that the price didn't go up because, or it didn't go up a lot more. So I got them for basically 130 bucks USD. And there are, you know, there are pairs going for in the eight or 900. So, you know, I got, I got them at a very, very good price. Um, and the person I was auctioning with, there's like, you know, tricks to eBay auctions. You can kind of like figure out what the other people are bidding at based on mm-hmm. eBay's like automatic bid system. Um, and like, you know, the the person must have just been very strict on their max bid because I beat them by two and a half dollars. Um, <laughs> like I know what their max bid yeah. was. So, you know, it's it's like if if that's the case, then, you know, I'm if they either didn't care or they're, you know, punching the air super angry when they lost because, you know, for a price that good, I think they probably would have been willing to go up, you know, an extra $2. I want to take you back. Let's say if, if you were to go back to your early teens and getting into this hobby, do you, would you think you would ever buy secondhand sneakers? Would you, would you think you'd ever get into older looking things or older looking or beat up patinaed? well well worn kind of item sneakers do you think that's something that kind of came to mind because i know from my experience it, the whole culture was not around that it was totally different it wasn't about what we see right now so i want to ask you know i guess the current julian and even the younger julian would you have gotten into this if you were 12 years old today in 2020 
would you go for the beat sneakers or would you go for something different i think that i as a younger kid i i definitely would not have like predicted uh you know an interest in 30 year old shoes um i will say that you know before sneakers i was very into vintage sportswear like snapbacks okay. starter jackets stuff like that so you know i always had an interest in the vintage stuff um but sneakers were a little trickier because like you know when sneakers start to become, you know, classified as vintage sneakers, they're usually pretty beat. Um, and so for for the snapbacks, I thought it was cool. And, you know, I, I still, you know, I've, I've kind of moved away from that a little bit. I still have a handful of them that I'll, you know, I'll hold on to forever. But for shoes, no, you know, for me, it was, you know, having that fresh pair of, of shoes. Um, so I don't think I would have gotten into that. I think, you know, the reason why I'm into it now and probably the reason that this whole kind of vintage resurgence for footwear is coming about is that, you know, there are so many shoes being released all the time now. And, you know, they're really only being reinvented when it's like a collaboration, but it's not really a reinvention most of the time. It's mostly just, you know, a new colorway or, you know, adding different materials. There's not really a lot of new silhouettes that are coming around anymore. So I think it's cool, you know, and I have a lot of shoes now. So I think, you know, I'm not necessarily, you know, if I need a fresh pair of shoes, I, I got that. Um, so I think now it's, you know, kind of looking back into the history and, and seeing kind of the stuff I missed and also thinking about, you know, when I was a kid, um, I was, you know, I was into sneakers, but not in the way I'm into sneakers now. And so, you know, I had a lot of these models when I was a kid and know that I just beat the crap out of them. <laughs> but like, you know, I was a kid, I was skateboarding in them. I was like, you know, you know, wearing them to the beach and stuff like that. Like they're just getting wrecked. So so now it's like looking back and like, oh, I wish I had those, but now kind of like going on the hunt to get them again. Um, so even if, you know, even if I don't buy them, it's still kind of, you know, fun to kind of look around for that. But no, I don't think I ever would have said like, yeah, I'm going to buy a pair of shoes that is so beat that I shouldn't even wear them. <laughs> that, that I think is crazy, you know, to think about that now. And, you know, while I can justify that, I know that a lot of people around me who are some good friends, but not necessarily in shoes will still think it's crazy which is totally fair they're probably right <laughs> yeah uh, what what i really liked about your point was that you're kind of digging into your own history and you're kind of just seeing what did i wear as a kid or what did i want and kind of go from can i get it the, the biggest thing that stand out, stands out to me is when i grew up and i still remember it my brother has a pair of space jam 11s because <laughs> he's yeah. he's 11 years older than me right so okay. at that time you know, that, that was the biggest thing. I really wonder if he has it with him still in Vancouver or if he let it mm -hmm. go. Because if, if he let it go at this point, I'm like, crap. Even if I couldn't fit it, that'd be so amazing to have like a, as a piece of art. The exactly. other day too, my, 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 I think my, my mom told me that he used to have a pair of uh, Jordan 1 uh, highs in i think was was it the bread colorway bread or either you know the chicago colorway i'm just like mm -hmm. holy crap i what yeah. i would do to to have that in front of me right now be it from the early 2000s or even in the 90s right when i was yeah. just like you know like five years old and he's he's already 15 16 right i'm just like damn what did you have in your closet that you know i wish i had nowadays yeah for sure and i mean like so i was you know i was a huge like dunk high kid when i was younger so some of those models now i see pop up on like ebay and facebook and whatever for you know pretty 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 insane price um and you know i have pictures of me kind of wearing them so i was big into wake skating when i was younger which is basically like 
you know, it's a wakeboard minus the boots. So the, you know, the top of the board is, is grip tape, like a skateboard. Yeah. You're not attached to it. So you have to wear sneakers. So I was wearing dunk highs with those like to wake skate, which is, you know, if you, if you go at a really high level, it's, I would took a really nice pair of shoes. I put them in the lake and then I shredded them with grip tape. So <laughs> it's kind of the worst thing you could do to a pair of shoes if you care about, you know, shoes. And, you know, again, yeah. at the time, like I didn't, I didn't care, but yeah, you know, looking back and just remembering that you had them or like, you know, a friend is like, oh, I, you know, I, I used to have those, but at the time you just, you know, you didn't care. It, it didn't mean, you know, it meant a lot for sure, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like how it would have been yeah. now if you could go back and grab them. But I think, you know, that's, you know, that's the thing with, with shoes and, you know, a lot of other types of products like that, where, you know, you don't know kind of what's going to happen with them and you need to just enjoy them in the moment. Um, you know, if I was like a 16 year old kid who wouldn't wear any of the shoes I had because like, um, you know, I thought that in 10 years they were going to become super valuable, then like I probably would have been kind of an asshole. So, um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm glad I didn't, I, I don't wish that like I never, you know, wake skate in those shoes. Cause when I did, I thought I was super fly cause I was wake oh, skating yeah. and dunk highs. So I was exactly. like, check me out. Yeah. I was like, even if I'm not the best wake skater, I got the best <laughs> shoes on the lake. So yeah, there you go. Yeah. I, I like that. Um, I think you bring up a good point and I, what I appreciate is that you actually wear your shoes. You said that earlier, you wear your shoes, you actually want to put them on and everything. Uh, and I know a lot of people and you know, some, some of the younger, um, people in the kind of hobby of uh, sneakers is they're ending up just compiling the, like a whole box, whole wall of shoes that they don't wear because they're waiting for that. And I kind of see that pers persona where, you know, you're like, well, I'm just going to end up being an asshole. If I know that, you know, this is going to go up, you know, 50 times or like 60 times in, in a few years. Um, one of the things you also said was to create memories. And I love creating memories with shoes. And that's actually why I've held on to my um, Air Force Ones that, you know, I've gotten some people say like, these are B, you should like totally get rid of them. Mm -hmm. But for me, yeah. it's, there's so many memories of that shoe. Like when I put that shoe on, I think about that time I was in New York meeting all these, you know, being there for XYZ, you know, shows yeah. and all that stuff, you know, getting cranberry juice poured onto the shoes, getting like some, like, <laughs> you know, that's what I think of. And that's why I'm never yeah. going to get rid of that. But I remember as a kid and even in high school, a lot of my friends that had Air Force One's mids, right? It's all about keeping them crispy. You're not, you know, yeah. you're walking like you're on eggshells when you're at the ball. <laughs> yeah. You see everyone kind of do that with Air Forces. Yeah. And I just think it's really funny now um, that uh, the, the, the crowd is kind of divided. There's the crowd that's like me, that like, I don't care, they're beat, whatever. And I think with, the Air, with your Nike Legend 2, that's a testament of how nice Air Forces can look when they're beat. You also have this other side, which is kind of like the Dr. Dre's of the world or, or, or the Tigers that are just like, you know what? I wear them two times or like Fat Joe, I wear them two times or yeah. once and, you know, New I pen. give them away. It's, yeah. it's crazy. And uh, I want to get your thoughts on that. Um, the whole crispy thing with, with shoes or, you know, is, is that something that, you know, is, is with your ethos when it comes to sneakers? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. So, I mean, you know. First off, I don't have the money to buy a new pair of Air Forces after two wears, so that in general is just out of the question for me. Um, but I think that you know it's you know it, it's important to just have them, and you know you can care a little, you should care, you know, about them a little bit. You know, don't just like be irresponsible about you know something you're spending money on. But um, 
you know you can't you can't a just have him in the box forever like that doesn't do anything unless you know you truly are only buying him as an investment and you've done mm-hmm. the research and you have good reasoning to believe the price is going to go up and you have a plan to flip them then fine you know whatever leave them in the box but if you buy them to your size and you like you don't want to wear them and you're just too afraid to the extent where you just never wear them then i think you know that's that's not you know the best move either so you know you got to be you got to be a little bit you know willing to you know accept the fact that they might get a little dirty you know i I still clean my shoes it's not like you know if they get dirty i'm just like oh that's the end of those like i'll you know you got to take care of them um but i i think that you know shoes are meant to be worn they're you know they're a functional garment they're not you know they weren't designed to be art even though you know some are um so at the end of the day you know you gotta you gotta wear the sneakers that's what they're that's what they were made for yeah um I definitely agree with shoes as something that should be like worn every day or anything like that. I totally agree. And I I have that same ethos with watches. And that's kind of why, just to let you know, that's why I started the whole Springs of Thread things. I saw a lot of status and highbrowness about, you know, expensive watches and how they're what I call safe queens. People buy them that are wealthy and then they end up stuffing it in their safe. Right, and with, with stuff like that, is break down what the item does. A shoe is meant to be worn. Um, it's meant to take you from point A to point B, protect your feet, do yeah. X, do X, Y, Z. Same with watches. Watches were meant to be a tool for you to kind of uh, manage your time. It'd be a tool for you to navigate. You know, if you're a pilot in the sky, you know, you're you're reading about you know your fuel economy. It was a tool for you to go swimming in uh, if you were diving too to make sure you had enough oxygen and you knew when to go back to uh, to the surface. Like that- Very is important. The, right, like that is what it is. So I think taking that and breaking it down of what does this product do, I think opens up to, okay, then wear your damn shoes. Okay, then wear that damn, you know, $20,000 watch. I always accredit that thinking to um, John Mayer, Talking Watches number one, where he said he, pick, he picks up dog poop in a Patek Philippe which is insane, but I love how he dumbed (laughs) it down. At that point, it was like, all right, then you can wear like a super expensive, you know, watch or a super expensive pair of sneakers, maybe resell now, more of like the resale Mm -hmm. value of the sneakers, and then just beat it to the ground. Because I think the more you do that, the more you learn about the product. And that's where you can build more connections with it. Uh, Shoes, you know, depending on the insult, they could start to mold to your feet. And I know red, red, red wing boots do that too. Like they have a cork yeah. insole that eventually mm-hmm. will mold to your feet. I think there's something beautiful about breaking, breaking it down and really knowing it over a period of like three years or five years or until your like pinky toe comes out. I think that's yeah, really beautiful. For sure. And you know, when shoe, you know, people make nice shoes, not so they can, you know, sit on a shelf. They make nice shoes so you can look nicer when you're going from point A to point B. They make nice dive watches so that, I mean, you know, maybe you don't have tons of people, you know, underwater with you <laughs> checking you out, but, you know, they make them so you can do it in style. And, and the people that, you know, had the money to buy those things, they, you know, they buy nice things so that, you know, they can look nicer doing their daily activities. So, so I, I totally agree. And, you know, um, if, if you have the money to just let him sit, then fine. But you know, not not everyone things. does. Yeah, not ev- exactly. But but not everyone does. So you know, 
get the use out of them but you know again take care of them don't yeah you know don't be irresponsible with them you know they can you know shoes you know there's a variance in quality between brands and stuff like that and different models but at the end of the day like a shoe is meant to last more than three wears and if you take yeah. care of it it can last you a really long time and um you know so just be smart with your products are you on the side of team crispy or are you on the side of more you know a little wear is fine kind of thing i'm i'm probably still on the side of team crispy um but but you know i i can i can float between teams <laughs> it really depends i think it depends on on the the colorway it depends on the model uh, you know the air force one is probably and and the blazer two are one of the shoes where you know they can start to look uh they can start to get you know uh, some real signs of wear and still look good however you know like I have a pair of all white Jordan fours, the the court purples, and those are like you know a lot of the all white Jordan fours, like the pure monies and the greens mm-hmm. and stuff like that, where those start to look not so good when you beat those up. So it depends on the model in that case, um, and then you know black shoes I think can get a bit more beat, obviously just because they show less you know dirt stain and stuff like that. So it depends. I personally again think a, a crispy pair is you know what I like the most. But for some shoes, like if it gets beat, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna retire them. Nice. I think um, a, a shoe like a Chicago one looks really good, crispy. And that's coming from a guy that likes yeah. a lot of old shit that likes things to have patina. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think you're right. It does come down to what what that shoe is and what that colorway is. Like even yeah. like a grape five, I'm like, ugh. As it gets dirty, I'm not sure how I feel about them. But if I see it on the street and it's clean, I'm like, holy crap! Like that looks nice. But I can also yeah. say that Concord Elevens, I think, under some sort of wear, look really great as well. You know, so it all all just kind of depends. I think Yeezys look great beat up, mm-hmm. and that might be I, yeah. the whole aesthetic around um, Yeezy and Kanye and Stephen Smith as well. Is like, yeah, we're the shit of it. Go hiking. I don't care. Right. Exactly. That's what they're meant to do. Yeah. Yeah, like you know, Kanye is not really at least anymore. I mean, you know, we can go on plenty of rants about Kanye, but. You know, he's not really like a, a crispy, like fashion kind of guy. Like he, you know, wears workwear and vintage stuff. So I think it works with the aesthetic. Um, and, you know, like you said, with the Jordans, like some of them look really, really good, kind of like with a bit of wear and some need to stay crispy. I think the the Jordan 13 uh, flu games, in my opinion, are one of the shoes that look amazing with some wear um, because the, you know, there's no like translucent sole, so there's nothing to like mm-hmm. yellow it just yeah. becomes kind of like a worn in black and red. And I, I love that. And the leather on those is good. You know, the 13s have, you know, always kind of had good leather. A lot of other Jordan models yeah. have kind of, you know, varied. Um, so those look great. Um, I was very close to picking up a pair of those about a month ago. Ooh. The price price started to go up, so I, I didn't do that. But um, no, there's there's some that there's some that look really good. But again, you know, it's it's always harder for me to justify buying something. As much as I'm an advocate for buying used shoes, it's you know it's still harder to justify spending a lot of money on on stuff that is you know worn. And you never know with with used shoes because even if they look good the first time you hold them, you know you could walk in them for a couple times and then realize oh that glue wasn't as strong as you know, I thought it was, <laughs> or some or you know the stitching wasn't as solid as I thought. So, you know, there's always there's always a bit of a risk, but I mean that's you know, that's how you use <laughs> that's what happens when you use things. You know what the tough part is, I think, with the whole pandemic and then even now that 
things are moving to online and you can't really go into the store. Like I, I remember as a kid, right, even though I've never picked any of the shoes up, like I would walk into a store and I would see the, the wall of Jordans at Foot Locker. Yeah. I'd think, holy crap. And you would, I would stand there for like a good 20 minutes analyzing it. But nowadays, yeah. because it's online, you can't look at those details. So even if you, as a kid, you'd walk in, you're infatuated, you pick it up and you see the glue after, it's like, nowadays you can. You, you purchase it, once it gets to your home, you look at it and then within maybe five minutes, you're like, oh shit, like, damn. I yeah. wish that wasn't there. I wish this thread wasn't, you know, what was cut yeah. properly and stuff like that. Online shopping for sneakers is the worst. I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I, I, I will take out of the pandemic though is I found my true shoe size. I always thought I was a, a ten and a <laughs> half, but I was—I ended up being an eleven, especially for Adidas, because mm. you know stuff like that. And then I found out in New Balance, I'm actually a ten wide. So interesting. I have a funny story about finding your your true shoe size because for a long time, I thought I was a twelve, um, and I think this started because the first some of the first pairs of shoes that I ever got were you know the ones that became available to me were size twelve. And I just, I think eventually convinced myself I'm a 12. I'm a true 11. I can be a 10 and a half in some pairs. And I didn't realize that until probably two years ago um, <laughs> when I was always buying 12s and I was like, whatever, you know, these yeah. fit. I've learned to just think this is what comfort is. <laughs> I tried on a pair of 11s. And I'm like, oh my God, this is, this nice. is what shoes are supposed to feel like. So it's definitely, you know, and, and because, you know, so many different brands have different kind of like sizing on their shoes it's uh it's not always the easiest thing and i think when you're young you just want the shoes more than you care how they feel so um, yeah yeah but i i was buying the wrong size shoes for a very long time i i would say i did that as well as a kid though i was a huge converse head um from probably a like grade six onwards to grade 11 um and just I like used the to buy, yeah the chucks the, uh, mostly the highs uh, and I love like back in the day, you'd get like the double layered one too with like, you know, all yep. that stuff. Um, and I, at that point, I thought I was a true 11 and a half. So not far from 12. But at that mm -hmm. point, I'm pretty sure I was probably just a nine, like a 10 or like a nine and a half. Um, well, so Chuck's it, fit big too. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I learned that the hard way as well. After yeah. getting back into them as an adult, I'm just like, something's off here. And again, that's because of the fact that I couldn't try them on in store. It right. was actually, it, it's all online and everything. I get it back, like, do I really want to go through the hassle of shipping them or anything else? What I ended up mm -hmm. doing, and thankful for, for my girlfriend for doing it, she, she took my Chuck collection of about, like, five pairs. We just gave it to Plato's Closet. I got, like, five bucks out of it at the end. Nice. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but they were, like, clean, too. But I just realized that, oh, shit, I bought all these shoes, and they, they don't actually fit me. So mm -hmm. I learned the hard way as a kid, and I learned the hard way as an adult. Um, but yeah. I, I think we've kind of, I think we kind of established the whole crispy and vintage or like worn look. It's up to your style. I mean, if you are, you know, more of a cleaner look, I get the whole crispy thing. If you're a little more grungy or like more relaxed, then hell, do it, do it, do it, do it. Just, just do the used or like worn look at all. Right. Exactly. I think, you know, and it also comes into like the clothing you're wearing too. Like, uh, you know, if you're going to do like workwear and kind of use vintage stuff and then have a super crispy pair of sneakers on it may look kind of weird too and you know vice versa if you're gonna have you know kind of beat shoes and like and you know you go a bit more formal it looks strange as well so it's you know it's personal style but then also you know i think you know the people that only care about their shoes and don't care about their clothing uh you know will never have kind of 
the perfect fit. So you gotta you gotta go from toe all the way to head. Yeah, I I a hundred percent agree. And with that said, I just want to have a quick comment out there. Um, it amazes me that there's still a, a demographic of people that are loving the skinny skinny jeans with like the Jordan highs or like, like the, mm-hmm. or like the Jordan vids. I'm I don't know that just that look to me is is really dated uh, I know for yeah. myself I don't want to look like a carrot so that's why I kind of <laughs> transitioned more to like a straight leg or more of a relaxed thing but yeah. I think that's something if I can if I say this on this podcast is I hope that soon changes because uh, I am pretty tired of uh, seeing that especially with the youth a hundred percent yeah the the h&m skinny skinny spray on jeans or whatever they're oh, called now yikes. and then the chunky shoes is always <laughs> is never going to be a great look <laughs> no if anything you just refine it as you get older uh i want to talk about now the g-shock that that you've purchased uh, i know you kind of gave your background on g-shock I will kind of give my insight too. Growing up, um, I did not have a G-Shock. If anything, I did have a Casio, uh, something that was digital, easy to read. And I do remember in high school, and I never wore a watch, but in high school, everyone had the huge G-Shocks on, be it translucent, be it black and gold, be it red, right? And then as I kind of dove into the hobby, um, I guess maybe like four or five years ago now, I don't even remember. I love G-Shock in the sense that it is meant for you uh, to beat up and to wear it's so functional that up to that point to have a watch do all those things were kind of inconceivable like people anything mechanical you cannot execute that but i love yeah. how those brands casio um seiko all and citizen they made such an effort to innovate and then with that innovation came all this technology within the watches there's actually a, a, a seiko tv watch where back in the day you would kind of dial it into a frequency and you could watch, uh, you know, something on your wrist, right? So it's oh, wow. kind of yeah, it, it's that innovation that was really cool. And so with G-Shocks, I know within the watch world, um, some people really hate them; they think they're a toy. Uh, but then there are those really pure enthusiasts, and I think it's it's those that understand that a watch is meant to be worn um, and it's meant to be functional, where they love it. I think every watch collector needs to have a G-Shock in their collection because if you need to go running or you want to go swimming yeah. and you still want to keep the time, that's a perfect way. Your Rolex Submariner or, or your Seamaster, you know, you still want to kind of treasure it in a sense where you don't want to bang it up. Let's say you're 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 in an ocean or river, you don't want to bang it up on a on a rock or anything hard like that, right? So G-Shocks are amazing. I have one as well. I have a Mudmaster, nothing too fan- fancy or too big. But again, um, when I used to run, uh, you know, it'd be, you know, timing myself or even when I used to go to the gym, it'd be doing that stuff. Nowadays, I, yeah. it, it, what, I'll, all I do is yoga. I do nothing, no phone, no nothing. I just kind of go yeah. in, do my thing and leave. Um, so with that being said, um, G-Shocks are a wonderful thing. Uh, they, they are doing a lot of collaborations with um, retail brands, just kind of roll in the, the fashion element. Tons. Yeah. Um, so that's something that if you're a sneaker collector, you should also look into because I think you can build a really cohesive outfit out of that. If you had like a collaboration piece, let's say the, mm-hmm. the G-Shock Kith that I wrote about, right? It's like if you have that and you were in Kith, okay, complete story. Uh, with the Cassie Oak, um, here's my take. I don't mind it on the black resin or uh, black rubber or the red rubber. My mm-hmm. only gripe with it comes when 
people are buying the aftermarket stainless steel cases and stainless steel bracelets I, and I making, making them into, you know, APs. And that's where I yeah. kind of draw the line from like an homage into like a blatant ripoff because and for sure. I, I, I guess there's a bias here. Or I can't speak for everyone is when you buy it, are you trying to portray the wealth that you don't have? And that's why you want to do it. Um, and, you know, people can, I don't know if anyone's going to talk about this, but people can argue it, right? I'd love to hear it. But if, in my mind, a lot of people that do that kind of case change and do that bracelet change, don't try to embody it. It is true to what it is. The materials are there for a certain reason, and it's great. I think it's a great watch. I know I loved it. A lot of people hit me up and said, hey, can you cop this for me or anything? I'm like, they're out everywhere. So <laughs> yeah. your best luck is, is going to be resale. So that's my opinion on the Cassiocas. I'm fine with it stock, but once you want to kind of turn it into something it's not, that's where I kind of had to have an issue. Two days ago, uh, G-Shock just released a newer version um, that takes kind of those design elements from the from the Cassiope. I forgot the the reference number. Um, and there is a mix of blow, both uh, resin, rubber, and uh, metal. And oh, I think that looks great because it's not like the case of the Cassiope is very blatant um, as like a royal oak. But that one kind of embod yeah. embodies a lot of the more premium G-Shocks out there that are all metal. So I think those ones are great too. Um, but yeah. That, that's kind of my, my take on, on the Cassioke. So I, I actually have no issue with it. <laughs> no, I, I, think, I think that's a really good point. Like when I, so when I bought it, uh, or when I first saw it, you know, immediately, you know, you, you, you can make the, the connection to the AP, right? Like it's, it's obvious and, and, you know, you don't have to read many articles to hear someone make the, you know, the Cassioke reference. So, you know, I thought that was cool. For me, the, the main thing that I liked about the watch was not that, oh, people are going to think I have an AP now or like, you know, it's like the mix between it's like, oh, what's that rubber AP? It was more of like um, I, I wanted the G-Shock elements of it being durable and something I could beat up and just mm -hmm. having something a little bit slimmer. That was that was really it. Um, you know, I like the all black look. I wear a lot of black. It kind of works for a lot of the stuff I wear. But that, that was kind of it when I had not seen any of the you know, the, the metal straps the or, you know, the cases until after, I think after I bought it, something popped up. And I also, and maybe this was, you know, perpetuated by the fact that I think it was like an AliExpress like ad or something that I first saw for the cases. So I kind of thought it was a joke, honestly. Like I didn't, I, I didn't assume that people were actually doing it. And look, you know, like no hate to anyone who does, you know, everyone's got their own thing. So that's fine. But no, to me, like that would not, you know, that was never something that I would have considered f for this one. Um, I imagine that, you know, if you buy the straps to swap it out or the cases to put on top, I think it just like pops on top, right? It's like the the metal cases or whatever. Yeah. So for, or, or you completely swap it out, like you take the watch apart, but either way, it's like, yeah, you lose that durability um, and the kind of, you know, the essence of what a G-Shock is. So, so I agree. I don't really think that's, you know, that's the best use case. And look, you know, if you can't afford the AP, like most people most can't afford people, the AP. Yeah. I, I will then, never afford one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, then, then that's fine. I will say though, that if you want a stainless steel AP looking watch, there's a lot of other brands that actually, you know, are, are doing, you know, doing that. And I'm sure you can find one that will be better quality than a cheap metal case going on top of a G-Shock. <laughs>
my my thing is too, um, if you are listening to this and you want an AP Royal Oak, right? I think it's really important to find out what about it do you like because if you're like someone like me and I'm the kind of person that when I'm you know listening to a record or anything I'm looking at who the band is I'm looking at who engineered it right same with shoes I look at who designed the shoes who was a part of the process right if you are that kind of person put that into watches as well because with that being said the AP was designed by Gerald Genta Gerald Genta then went on to design a bunch of different watches, very similar in essence and design language, with other brands. So if you can't afford the AP and what you like is the design, then dive into who the designer was. And with that being said, totally. go down a rabbit hole like you would with sneakers, like you would with anything mm -hmm. else, if you're that type yeah. of person, and find out what's a Gerald Genta design watch that I like and that is in my price category. Most are, are still kind of steep, but I think yeah. they're not impossible if you kind of put your, put your time to it. Because watches in that caliber, and you've, you've reached um, you know, luxury or horology at that point, is right. it's not something overnight. For, for like everyday people like myself, it's not overnight. Is it a 10-year goal? Is it a 15-year goal? Right, and then from there you can kind of be more strategic with your money, and you can get there. I I personally think those are attainable, for sure. Totally, yeah. I think I think that's a really really good point. So that that made me think of a question I want to ask you, and and maybe you can answer this, maybe you can. So in sneakers, the like, you know, the top name for sneaker designers is Ticker Hatfield, right? Who designed like you know all the you know most classic Jordans, a lot of the other Nike models. Um, so you, who, do you have a, a tinker of watch designers? Is there someone that you put as like the top of, of watch designers? And, and if so, what, like, what are the watches that they have created? So when it comes to watch designers, I'm gonna be honest, there's no tinker equivalent to me, but there is a certain era. And what I mean by okay. that is in the era of World War II, the military, so this could be the U.S. Uh, military, this could be, you know, British uh, military. They commissioned a bunch of watch manufacturers to make watches to these certain specifications. So that's something that people listening, if you look up the Dirty Dozen in watches, or if you look up W10, those are all co um, government contracts. And they then, you know, reached out to suppliers, being the watchmakers, and said, yeah. it has to be this design, has to be like this, please make it. So if anything, my, cool. uh, the, the one I look up to would be the, the armed forces in the U.S. and in Britain. Because the design language and whoever did it, and I never dove into who in the government or who in the, you know, uh, military was designing it. But that design language, I think, is not, I don't want to use the word clean. I think very legible and very practical for people, whether it's you're, you're on the ground or you're in the sky, just that design aesthetic I really look up to. And I've been trying to find a way to take that design language and kind of form it into a tattoo <laughs> for the cool. longest time. Yeah. But that is kind of my equivalent. I, don't get me wrong, I love the, the, the Rolexes, I love like everything. But what drew me to the Hamilton was a modern interpretation of a W10 watch. So that's kind of that's kind of my answer. I wish there was a name, but basically, it, I guess my design influences is, is the uh, government. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's awesome. That's that's a good answer. I, I like that a lot. 
Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy because it doesn't matter. Like there were small brands, small brands, and then there were larger brands. Like you'll see Omega did one for the Dirty Dozen, IWC, and you had other brands like Eterna or like even some other names that I've never heard of and that are probably yeah. gone bankrupt at this point, right? They were making <laughs> yeah. it. So it's like there wasn't like a level to it. It was just we our like our um, government or our country needs us to make watches. Let's make watches, right? We'll for do sure. it to your specifications. Totally. Yeah. So if anyone looks listening out there, it definitely um, doesn't matter if you're, you're like an army head. Like I'm not an army head. If anything, I look at everything from a design perspective and if it made sense. Right. And mm-hmm. is it functional? And if you look at the dirty, dirty dozen and you look at W10, you'll see that it is another thing I really love. Uh, and again, there's there's no designer in there is in Germany. They had a bunch of watches called the beer, uh, the beer. A and B dial. So with that being said, it was another government contract. IWC had a bunch of these other brands and that design language was just really practical. And it was great for pilots to read the time when they're in the sky. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Bit of a bit of a kind of history around there. Hey, the history, the history is good. You know, one of our main topics has been do your research, learn the history. So no. Yeah, it's, I don't it's do very a, important. It's an, very an amazing important. job. I always do the surface and I kind of just, you know, in my head, I'm kind of filling it in. And that was one of the things, funny enough, with, with this Hamilton, when I put it on, I literally think about, you know, that time it was made. And I think the, the W10s were produced around the 70s, just like around the Vietnam War. Um, and with that being said, when I look at it, that's what I think of. And this this weekend, I, I went to my girlfriend. I was like, "Hey, when you see this, what do you think of?" She's like, "I don't know, just another watch." I'm just like, "What? <laughs> like, there's there's so much history, yeah. and I think we can get caught up in that. And especially when I wear like day breaks, I think about it. I'm just like, "Whoa, inspiration, 70s style runner." You think mm-hmm. of it like the Oregon track, all that stuff. Where people, other people, are just like, "Those are just shoes with wings on the back." Exactly. Well, it's always it's always going to happen. But when you find the person that you know, appreciates the history as much as you do. It's, it's a very special moment. Yeah. That's what I appreciate about the sneaker culture that I'm very new in is there is a group that loves the history behind it. loves digging into it. Same with the watch culture. It was, and I think starting this Instagram and meeting yourself, meeting Darius and meeting a bunch of other people on there is, whoa, there is a community. It might be small, but there are people that share the same values as you. Yeah, totally. Well, I, yeah, and I think it's important if you're going to really get into anything like, you know, I'm not saying that if you want to wear a pair of Jordans, you have to, you know, understand the whole history of Michael Jordan, his footwear and his career. But, um, you know, I think I think it's it's good to know. And I think it also, you know, is getting easier to tell who and, and it's not a good or bad thing, but it's, it's getting easier to tell who is in it because of the history and who is in it because of, you know, hype and, and new stuff. And, you know, that's fine either way. But, um, you know, there's a lot of people that, you know, are obsessed with Off-White and don't know, you know, even who Virgil Abloh is or where he came from. So, um, you know, it's important to at least know a little bit, I think, if you're going to really spend a lot of money, money into it. And, you know, and if you're going to flex it on the Instagram, you better be ready to answer a couple <laughs> questions. I agree. One question before we close off, and I've asked Darius this before, with the whole dunk resurgence and everything, do you have to skate or know how to skate or know skate culture to wear dunks? So if you're going to wear dunk SBs, 
then I think, let me, let me back up. Short answer, I think no. I think if you really like the shoe, then at the, you know, at the highest level, that's okay. Um, and then, you know, we have to differentiate there's dunks and then there's SB dunks. And if you're, and while, you know, to the common eye, they look like the same shoe, there are a lot of differences. No. <laughs> and, and so, you know, I think if you, if you really say that you are into SBs, then, you know, I would just ask why? Because to be honest, they are a trickier shoe to wear. The tongue is super fat. As an everyday? They, you know, yeah, exactly. There's a lot more padding in them. Um, and yeah, there's some cool colorways, but you know, it's a harder shoe to wear, you know, like with, with pants and with different outfits and stuff like that, that, you know, your jeans will fall very differently on dunk SBs and they will on regular dunks. So if you really, really want to, you know, are going to be super into SBs, um, then I, you know, I'd just be curious to know why, um, if it's because you, you know, are into skate culture, then, then great. Um, so for me, you know, I grew up skateboarding. I still prefer regular dunks over SBs though. Um, and, and so, you know, and then if you're, if you're into the regular dunks, no, then you definitely don't have to skate. Like the regular dunk was a basketball shoe. So, so that's okay as well. Um, I think, you know, it's, again, it's really, if you like it, then that's, that's good enough at the end of the day. But, um, if you're going to be a snob about it, then you should, then you should like, then you should know. Um, but no, you don't have to be in a skateboarding. I do though love that, um, you know, the skate shops are, you know, exclusive retailers for SBs. You know, I mean, that's, that's always how it has been, but are, are the exclusive retailers and, you know, they are starting to look more into like the skate culture behind the shoe as ways of releasing the shoe of ways of talking about the shoe. So that's really good. But, um, you know, it's, it's a different culture now. It's, you know, bef back in the day when SBs used to release at skate shops, it was like, you know, they would make you skate them out of the store. And mm -hmm. like, you know, <laughs> uh, there was this, there was this whole crazy culture around SBs at that time. So it was different now. You know, I don't think you have to skateboard, but, um, I think though, if you do skateboard or if you do like that's the sport, and you do know like the skaters who are doing the collabs with Nike and stuff like that, you'll have a better appreciation for the shoes though. I, I like that. What do you think? A very, a very fair approach. Uh, I have two folds, a, a bit of me, and maybe it's, I'm just a natural romantic, whether it's music, you know, or like shoes or watches is, it's a bit of me that is a bit of a, is, is a gatekeeper. And I do think, yes, if you are specifying the line of SBs, I personally do think you should know at least how to skate. I'm not talking about tricks. I'm just talking about getting from point A to point B, staying on your board, you know, and maybe doing a switch here and there. <laughs> I think that's okay. But when it comes to the regular line, um, I think it's a free-for-all with the regular line. But a bit, like half of me is like, yeah, you should know if you're buying SBs and you're preaching all this love for SBs. The other side of me is the same as you. Wear, wear whatever the fuck you want. If it makes you happy, yeah and you can purchase it, all the freedom to you. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, if you, I think there's, this conversation is really perpetuated by like all the celebrities that are buying into it now. Like, you know, you know, I know that you, you love the, the conversation about Travis Scott and the effect he's had on, on SBs. And there's like, I'm pretty sure there's no, there's nothing that indicates that Travis Scott skateboards. And so, you know, you look at that and you think, okay, like, why does he care about SBs? And I, I don't know, I couldn't tell you. Um, but, 
but you know, maybe that's an example of no, you don't have to skate. Um, however, you know, SBs come from the culture of skateboarding, and for a long time, skaters were the outcasts. So yeah. the ones wearing SBs were like not accepted, right? So they were like, "Oh, you're wearing this chunky shoe. Why don't you get a dress shoe? Like, what are you wearing? That's ugly." So to push them out as the outcasts and now say like, "Oh, I'm part of that," and you were never even like at all knowledgeable or involved in like the culture or the history at all, is something I, I don't love. Um, but you know, if you're if you're a kid and you just think the shoe looks cool, then like whatever, that's fine. And I think that maybe if you're a kid and you buy SBs, maybe you'll start skating. I don't know. Yeah. So you know, so that's that's fine too. If that's your entry into the sport, is is the shoes first, then you know that's that's great as well. Uh, one more closing thing, I want to be mindful of your time as well. Is yeah. that feeling that that you got saying? You know, if you, if you were bashing the culture and then now you're kind of with it because it's more mainstream and it's more accepted, mm -hmm. that is how I felt. And maybe this is it's very personal. This is not objective at all. This is very subjective. Is there was a point in my life where all I rocked were graphic tees, and that's because you know mm -hmm. I loved punk rock. Like I'd wear Misfits, Ramones. I'd wear death metal bands and like all these yeah. tech, tech tech death bands from Montreal. I would get so much hate for it. And then all of a sudden, in like the early 2010s, I saw that being fashion. I saw people wearing Metallica tees as like a you don't fashion. Know anything game. about the bands? I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Same with like yeah. Iron Maiden. And I, and at that point, it was a very personal attack because I remember people going up to me like, "What the fuck are you wearing? Like, yeah. why, why can't you wear like it's something normal? Like everything's so dark." And to see that come around, I'm just like, "Are you fucking kidding me now?" But yeah, anyways. Totally. That was that's more you know personal to me, so I understand yeah. what you mean. Yeah. So I think okay, so I think we've landed on an answer. The answer, so the question is, <laughs> do you have to skate to wear SBs? The answer is, if you were shitting on SBs or sorry or, <laughs> or dunks in the past, then you now have to skateboard if you're gonna start to wear them. Yes. Or if you're shitting on heavy metal tees, you now have to be listening to the music to wear to wear those tees. However, if you're young, you never you never cared about it before because you didn't know about it, and now you think, oh, it's cool, and you want to get involved in the culture, then power to you. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that's a great way to end off this this podcast. Uh, Julian, I want to thank you again for taking your time out of a very early morning Sunday to for a lot of us uh, younger people out there, taking the time to speak with us uh, and share your insights. I'm sure this is not going to be the last podcast we're going to have together. Hopefully next time we can kind of have uh, Darius roll into this and we'll kind of touch more on, on fashion as a culture and then also mm -hmm. um, watches as well. Because I'm pretty curious. I want to hear more about your speed uh, your Seamaster as well as your Datejust. And I want to hear the story behind that. So next oh, time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we'll definitely talk about it. We'll, well, thank you, man, for having me. It was super fun. You know, it's a cloudy morning. I'm not doing anything anyway. So this was, you know, this is a great way to start the day. And yeah, I would definitely, you know, love to be back to talk about that stuff anytime. So, you know, thank you again. This was great. Thanks for listening. All right. Thanks, guys.